to Discovering the X-Files, the podcast in which a newbie, that's me, takes a deep dive into the entirety of Chris Carter's creepy universe, as longtime fans escort me on the journey, a journey filled with paranoid conspiracies and monsters of the week. I'm Eric's Antoine, and today Daniel and I will be discussing the Erlenmeyer Flask, which is the first season finale of The X-Files and originally aired in the U.S. on May 13, 1994. It was written by Chris Carter and directed by R.W. Goodwin. In this episode, Mulder and Scully discover evidence of secret government experiments with alien DNA. The evidence of this, as well as all the people who have witnessed it, are being eliminated by clandestine operatives. Mulder is kidnapped and tortured, Deep Throat is assassinated, and the X-Files department is shut down. It's a very eventful season finale, which features Lindsay Ginter as Crew Cut Man and William B. Davis as the Smoking Man, and also the presumably final appearance of Jerry Harden as Deep Throat, as the character is shockingly killed off at the end of the episode. As I said, there's a lot going on here, and after the break, Daniel and I are going to get into it, so stick around. level of commitment seems to have diminished. My level of commitment? I should have expected that you'd be working through the night trying to put the pieces together. Well, maybe if you'd given me something more to work with. Under the circumstances, I've given you all I can. A news report? And where's it led you? Not very far. <laughs> it may be further than you realize. You know, from day one, this has always been on your terms. I've gone along, been the dutiful son, but maybe this time we can just cut out the Obi-Wan Kenobi crap and you can save me the trouble. I fear you've become too dependent on me. Let me tell you something. I've got plenty to do without chasing down your vague leads or trying to decode your circular logic. Maybe it's you who's become too dependent on me. <laughs> okay, so here we are at the end of the season. So, well, it's uh, I think it's interesting that I mean I'm just going to go just jump ahead. We don't we don't need to do this chronologically necessarily. We're just talking about the episode. So, right. the 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 one big thing that is I think ballsy and unusual is that the first season of the X-Files ends with the dismantling of the X-Files. Yep. Which, <laughs> which, uh, which uh, I think, well, that's, that's a, that's odd. That's uh, an interesting storytelling choice. Um, apparently the, the network suits were a little bit concerned because they, they were afraid that, people would think that the show had been canceled <laughs> and, uh, and that that was actually not a season finale, but a series finale. I, I mean, I, I'm assuming that the show had already been renewed for a second season. Yeah, I'm pretty sure it had, but yeah, I mean, because back then, well, I, the, the way TV works by this time, you already know, I mean, you're into production. This, this aired in, the middle of the summer, you know, because back then seasons ran long. Well, not in the middle. It aired like at the beginning of the summer. It aired in May. But I'm pretty sure that by the time, I mean, obviously by the time it aired, they knew. But even by the time they were producing it, I'm pretty sure they had already received word that the show had been picked up for a second season and yeah. you know, everything was fine. I mean, the reason I say that is because there's also a possibility that maybe they didn't know when they when they wrote that. And 
and there's almost this dark like Chris Carter's like well I mean why not end the season with a why not write a very kind of a, a sort of finale that could also be a series finale if that were to happen if we were to get cancelled at least we you know we end on a note that feels somewhat final if slightly depressing and but um because that's the thing it, it feels like it could be it, it has that feeling to it you know it, it has this feeling of like just in case let's uh you know yes we'll we'll have a little hook but we'll see i mean because because on the one hand it it's a weird way to end the season it was like it's called the x-files and guess what at the end of this season <laughs> as far as we're concerned the show like, why, why do you still call it the X-Files? There's no X-Files anymore. And, and it's a bookend. You know, it, it's yeah. a bookend to the, to the first episode, which I'm sure that's deliberate, of course. To, to the extent that I think they might have even just reused the shots. Like, I, I don't think they... Um... Uh, yeah, I think other than him putting the alien fetus into the container, they completely just reused that shot. I'm pretty sure. Yeah. Yeah, I mean the you know the the big the, the long shot the the yeah. Raiders of the Lost Ark shot you know of the of a smoky man kind of walking away and even the shot of him closing the door it's like mm -hmm. why shoot it again if you've already got a perfectly good shot but it's like all of that about it is deliberate and so I just think that that's interesting I think that that one element of it it's so I, I try to put myself in the in the in a frame of mind of somebody watching this in 1994, somebody who's been following the series, you know, and this is in the early days of the internet when things weren't quite, you know, it was just starting to happen, you know, it was about 94, the internet existed, but it was sort of in its early days. So I could see somebody perhaps thinking that, you know, watching this episode being, wait, what? <laughs> you know, like, has this been renewed? You know, somebody who may not be as connected might actually think, wait a minute, I mean, have they renewed it? Are we going to get a second season? What is this? You know, so, I mean, I don't know. Do you, like, why don't, I'd like you to take me back because like, I'm sure that you watched this when it aired. So. Yeah, yeah, I did. Um, see, here's the issue with that. I would have been 10 years old. Mm -hmm. So I would have been in that childhood mindset of, of course, they're going to keep going. Of course, every show I like is going to keep going. Of course, every movie I like is going to get a sequel. It has to. Right? So, <laughs> yes, of I, course. so I don't, that wouldn't have been a worry for me at the time, just because I was too, I would have been too young to really think that far ahead about the possibility of something not continuing. But it, I definitely remember it throwing me for a loop, especially what happens to Deep Throat. Yeah, yeah, that's uh, yeah. We can talk about that for a minute because this is the this is another appearance uh, by uh, Jerry Harden as Deep Throat. Uh, it is like maybe his strongest appearance. Yeah, and it is as far as anyone's concerned at this point his final appearance. So uh, the, the the thing about it is that like apparently they did that. It's it's a really shocking moment. You don't really see it coming. Yeah, you know, uh, and it's it's wonderfully staged where you, you know. It's, it's a long shot. He's standing there, and then he just gets popped right in the chest. And, you know, that's the end. And he's got that great kind of final line, his last words. You know, trust no one. And it's very dramatic. And, and that, I think, was done... You know, it's in tradition. It, it's very common in a more modern series now where it's like, oh, you know, 
at the season finale, you're going to kill somebody. You're going to do something shocking. You're going to do, you know, they, they obviously couldn't kill any of either of the leads, but uh, it was, a, I think it was a way of, apparently it was a way for them to demonstrate to the audience that apart from Mulder and Scully, anybody could die at any moment. Like any other character could potentially be expendable. I mean, I know you've seen this guy, but you know, even he, and even somebody as connected as he was, somebody presumably as powerful as he was, mm -hmm. if it came to the point where the people who are behind this conspiracy, if they realize that he is already a liability, they're going to take him out. And so they do. And, and it's, it's, it's very shocking. It's very impactful. And, you know, I, I can imagine that sort of shocking you uh, as a kid. You not seeing that coming because, you know, you, you see this character is a recurring character. He's shown up a bunch of times. As far as you're concerned, he's one of the stars of the show. And for him to just, that's it, you know, he's, he's done. It's over. He gets shot to death by the, I guess we could call him the villain of the episode in a matter of speaking. I, I suppose this this assassin, this thug has a name referred to as crew cut man. So <laughs> I, I, I can, I, I looked it up, but like he's actually, and so I can assume that he's going to show up again at some point. He, I believe he does. I don't quite remember off the top of my head, but I'm pretty sure he does. And they, you'll see as it goes on that they have a real habit of doing a bland explanation, man, for a lot of these characters. Like there's <laughs> at one point there's going to be the well manicured man. And then there'll be a couple others as well. So. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, quite, quite shocking. Actually, that, that's a question I have for you. What do you think? Because the, the climax of this episode is, is shocking and excellently staged. And do you think that he sees it coming? Do you, do you think that when he's demanding of Scully that she give him the parcel and... You know, she's she's saying no, and he's like insisting that that uh, uh, she do that. They're expecting me, he says, and and so on. Do you think there's a part of him that is like, if she goes, they're gonna kill her. If I go, they might kill me, but I'd rather they kill me than they kill her. Or so. Yeah. Do you think there's any of that going on? Because I, I I had an idea that maybe. There's a part of him that expected that that could happen or that knew that there was that risk that that could happen. I agree. And I, I was thinking about that when I was watching it again this time, especially when you get a, a couple of quiet shots of him just sitting in the car. You just see his reflection in the rearview mirror. He's got a really solemn look on his face. And uh, I was about to say earlier, it, uh, of course, more than once he says throughout the season that he, you know, I'm approaching you and giving you this information at great personal risk to myself. Mulder mm -hmm. parrots that back to Scully at one point, uh, maybe a couple of times, and she rolls her eyes every time. <laughs> it's just like, oh, come on. Yeah. Sure, he's just, he's just, just dicking right. you around. But um, this collars all of that in hindsight. It shows you that, yes, he really was risking himself all along, and he knew that he if he went one or two steps too far, the danger of keeping him in the fold would be greater than the danger of popping him off in the middle of the street, which is what they end up doing. I th I don't know if he 100% knew that he was going to get killed, but I think he had a pretty good idea that this was it. 
he traded his life for Mulder's basically. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that, that's, that's kind of what I'm thinking where he, where he figures, well, if they're going to kill anyone, they might as well kill me. Yeah. And, and in a sense it's because he knows that Mulder is going to carry on because he knows Mulder and he figures this, this whole thing is only going to embolden him further. Cause I, I, even the whole thing about them closing down the X-Files, you would think that someone like Deep Throat by that point would have that information. He'd be like, they're going to shut the project down, uh, but whatever. I mean, uh, this, I just want to make sure that Mulder can keep going, you know, because eventually he will probably have the resources to be able to blow the lid off this whole thing. Several episodes ago already, we, we sort of, there is that doubt about what his motivations really are. You know, whose side is he really on? What's he really doing? And obviously, by the end of this episode, what you realize is, yes, he clearly is on Mulder's side. He clearly has a vested interest in having this get uncovered and, you know, blown wide open because he feels that it's the, the correct thing. So he really does want to atone, as he stated in the EBE um, episode, right, where he's doing this as a, as a way to atone for what he feels are his own transgressions. Yes, and I, I think that, like, if there's if there's one aspect that I would criticize, but I do think the episode overall is very good. Uh, as as a, it's probably yeah. I mean, and not probably. I would say definitely the my favorite of the mythology episodes so far. I think it's the strongest one. Um, it's the most compelling one. Maybe because of the finality that it has, but it just is a very compelling and unusual sort of mystery that's going on in there. But I think that one part that is a little bit unfortunate is that this is the first time that he really interacts with Scully. Mm -hmm. And I really like their dynamic. Yeah, yeah. I really like, you know. She's not I having think, his bullshit. <laughs> yes, yes, and I really enjoy that. And it's the sort of thing where you go, well, it's too bad they killed him off because it would have been interesting to see this relationship grow. You know, and and there would have been a, a, a cool little wrinkle to throw in there. And so that is a bit of a, okay, well, I get I get them going for the shock appeal of it, for the we need to have a strong sort of shocking moment for the end of this episode. We're going to kill him off. That's going to be really shocking for fans. It's going to have, you know, people on the edge of their seats sort of like, oh, shit, what now? You know, so... I get that part of it, and I, I understand the appeal, and it's definitely it definitely works for drama. It wor works for shock value, but I do think that it's unfortunate. I do think that the scenes they have together, which are they have like two big scenes, are electrifying. I think they're terrific, and it would just been interesting to see more of that. I think, uh, of course, it's the first season, so I'm sure Fox would have balked at the idea. But if this were, say, episode 23 instead of 24, and you stretched this out into a two-parter, you could have had a lot more interplay between the two of them before Mulder is retrieved. And that might yes. have fixed things a bit on that front. Because I did, like, before before we actually um, met up for this uh, to record <laughs> the podcast, I, um, I did ask you, you know, up front, you know, before I watched the episode myself, I was like, hang on, is this a cliffhanger? You know, and it, it seems to me that because the way that the episode is structured, it seems to me that a more modern show would have done exactly what you're saying. Like, but I, I don't say episode 23 as they it probably would have been the season ender. 
And the cliffhanger would have been Mulder is fucked. Mulder's gone. Yep. You know, they, they, they've taken him and now, you know, she's got to negotiate for his release. And so, yes, this story would have been spread out over two episodes. But, you know, like shows were already doing this mm-hmm. at the time that this aired. I mean, I'm pretty sure this aired in 94. So, yeah, by this time, you'd already had the, the very famous, uh, you know, TNG cliffhanger, Best of Both Worlds. Yep. That had already happened. That was like a legendary, clearly not the only one. I mean, plenty of shows had already done season-ending cliffhangers. And so that's the part that that kind of surprises me. I wonder why they didn't do that here. Like, why they didn't go for that angle. I have no idea because, you know, as, as I messaged you earlier, exactly a year later, we're going to get the season finale of season two is really the first in a three-part storyline that, connects to the first two episodes of season three. So only a year later, they finally pulled the trigger on doing that sort of thing, but they easily could have done it here. Yeah. Yeah. It just seems that way. And and it's because of that, that I wonder how assured they were when the episode was produced that they were getting a second season. A cliffhanger is usually the, the sort of risk you take when you're, Mm -hmm. when you have the confidence, when you go like, well, I mean, we're getting another season. So, this is to hook the audience to make sure they come back next year. That's why I have a feeling that maybe there was a, a part of them that that sort of wanted to cover their bases in case they weren't renewed. Because they could at least say to themselves, well, you know, we've got this nice little 22-episode thing that, well, 24-episode thing that, whatever, you know, it, it will go down in TV history as a cool little cult thing, and at least it's complete and whatever, you know. And so I think that that... And because it had happened with so many other cult series, you know, and I think it, it would it would happen. I, I talked about this uh, a few weeks ago with uh, with Natalia. We we were talking. I brought up the the show Dark Skies, which was one of mm-hmm. the shows that you know came out in the wake of the X Files. Obviously, it was very much an X Files ripoff, and that show very famously kind of ended on a on a cliffhanger. And it's a cult show, and it's sort of like they were never able to resolve that in any satisfactory way for people. And so, yeah, kind of makes you wish that they would think that way more often when they're when they're developing shows that have a certain cult appeal. That maybe it's a good idea to at least your first season, yeah, certainly put a hook there for you know future seasons, but at least be prepared for it to be the only season, just in case. Have that. Yeah idea yeah a more recent example would be also a fox show the exorcist series which had a fairly self-contained first season got renewed for a second and while there is a tease at the end of season two for where they could go in a third season they were smart enough to finish up the primary arc of season two so it still had some sort of an ending, which is good because it did not get renewed. We never got that season three. So yeah, well, well, well. Actually, you know, I haven't actually even watched the second season of The Exorcist, and I'd like to because I, I really enjoyed the first season. And one of the reasons, though, that I didn't watch the second season was because I knew that it hadn't been renewed. So I was kind of afraid that ah, oh, shit, you know. But since you've told me that it kind of has a satisfying enough ending, I think I'll I'll check it out. Um, yeah. But yeah. But going back to this, uh, to, to the Erlenmeyer flask. Okay, so let's discuss the episode uh, as a whole. I think it's a very uh, well-written episode and very compelling. You have that great, op- it opens on a car chase, you know, 
Yeah. And so you, you can see by this time, like they've got, you know, they've got the confidence and I guess they've got the budget uh, to sort of go all out and sort of really end the season on a high note. They want this episode to be really spectacular. So there's a lot of stuff here that really pushes the, the production value of the series. So, you know, you open on a, on a rather extended action sequence, which is like a, a car chase that then develops into a foot chase. And then eventually there's like a big fight scene. And, you know, it's this really elaborate uh, cold open. It's, it's one of the probably the most outwardly elaborate cold open of the season. Oh, yeah. And, you know, it's because it's just this big, big opening where you go, like, the guy gets shot and, you know, falls into the water. And, you know, <laughs> I mean, I was like, what? Oh, so he's like a Vulcan? What's the deal? So you see, like, the green, green blood. blood. Like, yeah. A, yeah, that's... Uh, and that's a thing, too, that... <laughs> it was funny, because when they're in the um, in, in the ambulance later on, you know, and, and oh, yeah, yeah. they don't... It doesn't occur to them that that's his blood and that it's green. They just say, oh, he's got some weird green fluid coming out of the wound. And the toxic gas coming out of his chest cavity. Yeah, yeah. That was a bit confusing uh, at first because I, I wasn't sure. But I guess it, like, yeah, he also, besides the, the green blood, which was, which is, I guess, alien, you know, it's it's what it is. Like he was part of that experiment, the, the genome experiment, the virus cloning thing, that he also expels gas that is toxic. That was rather unusual because it happens again, you know, at the end when, when he gets Mulder, killed. Yeah. Yeah, with Mulder, you know, that, that incapacitates Mulder. One little thing I like about it, and of course it ends up getting overshadowed later on. It would have been a focal point in any earlier episode. But, you know, then between Deep Throat getting executed and the X-Files getting closed, you don't think about it as much. But you have that scientist that works with Scully to kind of decode what is not monkey piss <laughs> in the jar <laughs> that Mulder sends her off with. Yep. And then they make mention of the fact that uh, she and her entire family have mysteriously died in a car accident. Yeah, uh, Dr. Carpenter. The implication is that she and her whole family died, or that her she and her family were in a car accident, but only she died. I think the entire family died in the car accident. Just show you just how ruthless these people are. Yeah. You know, <laughs> just how far they're willing to go. Which is then eventually sort of highlight like you know emphasized by deep throat in his final scene when he's explaining to to scully i mean let me explain to you what these who these people are you know and and gives her that that whole spiel about the the experiment that was run uh, several years before with children yeah and he goes like these are the kinds of people you're dealing with so just give me the parcel you know that's <laughs> what i'm saying it's like he he's basically emphasized that these are really dangerous people they will not hesitate to kill you so just give me the parcel, you know? One thing that I think is, uh, is intriguing, and that's why I'm, I'm going to sort of wait and see where this goes, but by the end of, I mean, in this episode, that's it. I mean, Scully can no longer have any doubt about the existence of extraterrestrial life. Mm -hmm. I mean, she simply cannot have any doubt at this point. I mean, like, that's it. The skepticism about that, at least, I mean, she may continue to like, well, no, I don't think it's a werewolf or no, I don't think it's, you know, whatever, a poltergeist or whatever else. But as far as aliens are concerned, that's it. She, she, she saw it with her own eyes. She's, she held it in her hand. You know, I, I mean, there's just no doubt, no room for doubt. So 
I mean, is she going to continue to be such a hard-nosed skeptic about this, even after this, even after what happened here? My memories on that front are a little hazy, definitely with the supernatural stuff. Okay, the, sure. The hesitancy will continue on that front. I don't think she is she's as bullheaded about the alien stuff and the conspiracy stuff going forward, but don't quote me on that just yet. <laughs> yes, no, of course, yeah, we'll have to see. But that would uh, that would already be like a, a deep flaw uh, from a writing standpoint. But I mean, look, I'll be open-minded. I'll see, you know, I'll see how they handle it. But it just seems to me that by this point, and they make a point of it. I mean, she apologizes to Mulder. Mm-hmm. You know, she she flat out just apologizes to him. She's like, you know, I'm sorry. I should have believed you, etc. Right? And it's more like like by that point, she's sort of like, okay, all right, fine, you were right. It's like she she gives it to him. You know, she concedes. Even that has an air of finality to it. You know, even that aspect of it is almost, it's almost like her comeuppance. You know, it's mm-hmm. almost like here we have this whole season and you've had this uh, over 24 episodes, you've had this, this bullheaded skeptic and here at last she is confronted with evidence that Mulder was right, that yet this definitely, he's not, you know, everything he was telling you about aliens is very likely true. You know, here, here you're holding actual evidence in your hands. And so even that has kind of an air of finality to it, you know, a, a, like a, an air of closure yeah. will, on that issue. And I think that that's, a, that's an intriguing thing. And then the other thing is just you, you, you have that Mulder just making this great discovery, you know, walking in on that lab where you got the suspended animation and then actually waiting until next morning uh, have you not watched any uh, conspiracy thrillers, Mulder? Have you not ever seen? Don't you know that that's exactly what happens when you leave the 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 great secret location with the with the amazing find? If you leave that thing unattended for an hour, okay, it's gonna be gone. When you when you go back to show, I can, just wait until you see this. It was like there's not gonna be anything there. Like you, you you know better than that, Mulder. It was like it's spotless in there too. There's not even any drips of water on the floor. Yeah, there's just nothing. It's just like there's like a I think there's like a I don't know a table or something, and that's that's it. You know, and then you realize, yeah, these people worked fast because it it was like what was it four tanks, five tanks, plus like yeah, yeah, like plus computers hooked up to it, plus I mean all that, and you go like, yeah, this this was gonna be hard. I do love how uh, Deep Throat kind of calls him on it, though. He's like, oh, they were chasing me. They are trying to get me. And he was like, Mulder, if they were trying to kill you, you'd be dead. They're really just trying to scare you off so they could clear this goddamn room out. Yeah. yeah. Mission accomplished. Very, very, yeah, very true. Yes. The bonehead move on Mulder's part. He should have gone back immediately. Like As soon as he lost them, he should have like called her from a payphone and just be like, come meet me at the corner of blah, blah, blah. Right now, I have to show you something. And, and bring your gun and whatever, you know, and so. All right, so, I mean, so here we are at the end of season one, and I think uh, we can maybe take a minute here to sort of reflect on the season as a whole. Sure. I think that's a, that's a good thing we could do. So let's see. What do we think of this first season as a whole? What can you as a fan tell me about it? Like, well, what's your opinion of the whole season? Now, now that you've gone through the whole thing. I know a fair number of fans that like to blanket label the first season as garbage. And I don't agree with that at all. I do agree that it picks up a lot in season two and seasons three through five are 
the best run of the series as far as I'm concerned. But I think there's a lot of good stuff in season one. Obviously, there's a fair amount of filler. But, you know, that mostly just comes from them trying to fully flesh out the concept and see where they want to maneuver around within it. I think most of the time they're successful. Sometimes they, you know, stumble a bit, especially, you know, like we were talking about anything involving ghosts. They haven't quite nailed down how they want to uh, approach that within the confines of what they've built here. But on the whole, I think it's a good season. Not a great season, but it's a good season. It's a good start. And there are, as far as a ratio of uh, episodes I really like versus ones that I think are forgettable, I lean more towards the, there's plenty that I really like here. Yeah, I'm going to agree with you. I think it's a very strong season of television. It surprises me that fans outright like dismiss it. And I have a feeling that that's very much a retrospective thing. Yeah. Like, I, I think that if you're somebody who was already into genre television and you sat down to watch this season in 93, 94 for the first time, I think that anyone who sat through it must have been thinking to themselves, this is a good show. I, I really have a hard time thinking that anybody would be like, this is garbage. You know, like, uh, as as you're sitting there watching it, I would have a hard time. Unless it's not your thing, you know, and you're just like, ah, this is not really my thing. I think it's boring, whatever, fine. But if you're into this kind of thing, I think that it's unmistakable that there is a, a level of quality that, mm-hmm. you know, you can see that they're really striving for a level of quality, for a level of cinematic quality. And I think all of that shows through it, and it 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 results in it having aged pretty well. Okay. Now, if I have criticism of the season as a whole, yeah, sure. I mean, as you said, there's a lot of filler. And that results in a few episodes that are, I'm going to say, yeah, forgettable. You know, uh, they're they're relatively bland. Like, you can't really do like a, well, you, I mean, for something that's just 24 episodes deep, you can't really do a top five anyway, a top ten. But you could, you can't even really do a top five. I mean, you could force yourself to do a top five. But it's kind of like, eh, you know, it's... But in any case, I, I did think about it. I got like, okay, fine, if I were reflecting on the season. Mm-hmm. And so I thought to myself, well, what are, what are the best episodes? What are the highlights? What, what are the episodes that really stuck out? And I'll say right now, there's like three or four of them where if I were to come up with like the best episodes, and I said, all right, so we've got Squeeze. Mm-hmm. Um, we've got Ice Beyond the Sea. Uh, those three, right? And then I would say that, okay, as an honorable mention, because it's really strong, I'd say Erlenmeyer Flask. But the thing about Erlenmeyer Flask is that, you know, it's the season finale. It's not, it's, it is relatively self-contained in the sense that it's, it's this mystery, but mm-hmm. it's part of the mythology. So it's a little bit like, eh, I don't know. But yeah, I'll give it an honorable mention because I do think it's a very strong episode. It's a very good ending to the series, to the, to the, to the season. But so I've got, you know, I go like, all right, best episodes, squeeze, ice, beyond the sea. Definitely. Like that's like the top three for the season. And none of them are bad. Okay. But there are better than others. And there's one that I guess comes very close to being pretty terrible. Um, it's almost a tie. It's a, you got shadows isn't very good. 
And then you've got the one about the salamander hand, which is just dreadful. <laughs> <laughs> just, just like a dreadful episode. What was the name of that one? See, uh, now you got me again, because that's that whole triple threat of Lazarus, Young at Heart, and yes. uh, Miracle Man. I think it's Young at Heart. Yes, yes, I believe you're right. It's young. It's 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 young at heart because Lazarus is the one about uh, Scully's former partner. That's right. Right, and then Miracle yeah. Man is the uh, revival tent episode. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Which you know, again, these are you have that element where these three episodes you get them confused because there's similarities. Titles, in the, titles. <laughs> but the titles have similar. They're, they're similarly metaphoric. You know, they they sure. have a, you know. They're playing with the allegorical context, and the three episodes do have similar thematic ideas. So yeah, easy to confuse them. So that's it. That's that's my top three, and that's like my bottom one, like the one where I go like, yeah, that's a bad one. And okay, let's say Shadows is also. So those are the worst episodes. Young at Heart and Shadows are the worst episodes. And I would um, agree with that. Yeah. So you'd agree with that, or do yeah. you? Is there any other episode that I didn't name that you think is really good and worth um, highlighting? If I were giving you a top five. Plus one honorable mention would be Squeeze, Ice, Beyond the Sea, and then I would round it out with Roland, and because I fucking love werewolves, I know a lot of X-Files fans aren't high on this episode, but I love shapes. So that would be right. my number five. Erlenmeyer Flask would be my honorable mention. Not because it's not as great as the others, but because, like you said, it's so interconnected with all of the mythology episodes of the season. It's just the culmination of them all, so it's hard to take it as its own thing fully. But yeah. it, those are my top six. Yeah. All right, well, that, that's that's a good that's a good list, and I would say, like overall, I think it's solid. It's uh, the the whole season. Reflecting on it, I find it hard to believe that fans are so down on it like like you know you as a fan know more about that than i do i guess it must be because things really do improve ex like considerably yeah. beginning next season like things really start to go there there's a huge uptick in quality which is normal for a lot of shows mm. especially genre shows but you know we did talk about how like star trek the next generation same thing yeah has a dreadful first season just like, like it's it's a dreadful first season and even fans have to admit that. But see, the thing about Star Trek The Next Generation is that I think it was a dreadful first season even in 1987. <laughs> I think that, you know, it was the sort of thing where people were sitting down going, wow, this is, I mean, I'm watching this because I, I'm so hungry for Star Trek and for new Star Trek that I'll just I'll watch anything. But this is absolute garbage. <laughs> And and if they keep this up, I'm not going to get another season. I mean, they'll they'll be lucky. Like the like the first uh, you know the original series made it to 80 episodes. They'll be lucky to make it to eight episodes. I mean, this is garbage. But but um, that's then you know. Whereas I really don't think that that was the case here. I, I I really would find it hard to believe that anybody sat down watching this the first time around and going, wow, this is crap. But I can believe that because it becomes so much better that then you go like, yeah, the truth is that now looking at the first season, it doesn't hold up when stacked to the rest of the show. Yeah, in that regard, I mean, the writing is more honed from season two onward. They know which directors they want to keep around at that point. And you know, you're not getting fumbles like you, like we did early in the season with some of the direction. And then the budgets are higher. So everything looks a tad more polished. 
Yeah. Yeah, I can see that. And again, I mean, I, I imagine David Nutter, obviously, he's going to be kept around. Um, because he's Rob Bowman. A very, yeah. a Rob Bowman, yeah, who only, I think he did one this season. I'm not even remember. I don't remember. He did one this season, didn't mm-hmm. he? Yeah. Yeah. I know he eventually does more and he, he went on to direct the movie and obviously the creative teams, you know, I mean, you, besides Chris Carter, you have, you know, Glenn Morgan and James Wong and all of that. So, so yeah, I mean, I think that makes sense. You know, they kind of figure out, it takes a minute for them to figure out where they're going with the, with the series. And I think that that is one thing that you see here, you know, cause Chris Carter mentioned that the, the production of this episode was the, was the result of a, of a learning process. Oh yeah. So in a sense, you kind of get this. You you get that sense watching the episode. That's why it feels like such a strong episode because it it is a mythology episode, but it's just very strong, very confident. The storytelling is very assured, and it is sort of like they took all the lessons of producing the season, where they said, okay, this is how we, this is sort of the the feeling we want to give it, the look we want to give it, the, just this is what we're going for. We'll put it all in this one little episode, and we'll we'll be all prepped for the second season. We'll sort of pick it up from here, and sort of try to maintain this quality. So I could see that being an issue, you know, being an element of it. And yeah, I'm excited at the at the end of this. I'm I'm looking forward now to to exploring the second season and seeing where it goes. Uh, that makes me happy because <laughs> I mean, you never can tell with a show like this, especially this early on and then you know i've been watching genre shows all my life we know that even some of the best of them whiff their finales from time to time on any given season so it's always good when you get one like this especially in the first season that ends on a high note and just kind of keeps you charged for the next season of course the benefit now is you don't have to wait until september to watch watch it yeah there's there's no uh there's no four-month gap (laughs) <laughs> yeah, that's right. Just one last question. Why do you think that is? Like, wh- why do you think it's so common? It's so common, especially in genre shows, not not shows in general, but specifically genre shows like this, where the first season tends to be so rough. Like, why do you think that is? Um, I guess it's a combination of things. You you have creative teams that are still feeling out exactly what they want to do. It helps that Chris Carter... You know, obviously there's a few stumbles in there, but for the most part, you know, from the pilot to Erlenmeyer class, he knows what show he wants to make. You know, you're not going to have people falling into tonal potholes all over the place trying to figure out what the show should be. Mm. For better or worse, he already knows exactly what he wants it to be, and he might trip up here and there, but for the most part, he stays within the confines of what he's trying to do, and it works. So I guess what it boils down to on a in that specific scenario is how much studio interference you're getting, how well your cast is or isn't working. Luckily, he's got two great leads. Then you have some great supporting right out the gate. Even on season one, they are just knocking it out of the park with the guest stars, especially with mm. all the character actors they've already rotated through. So you don't even have to worry about that. And then... After that, it just comes down to the writing, and luckily, they already have a couple of good writers or pairs of writers in addition to Carter himself to kind of stabilize everything. Some of it's weak here and there, but for the most part, it's it's fairly even, even on the lesser episodes. 
young at heart and shadows being exceptions. <laughs> yeah, that makes sense. And I, and I agree. I mean, I think that really is what it comes down to. I think that especially with genre shows, there is always a kind of learning curve. Mm -hmm. And I mean, it happens, I think, with any show, really. But with genre yeah. shows, it's specific because there's so much going on. And especially when you have a situation like this where you have a sort of game plan for the show, but you want it to function on sort of different levels. You want it to function as a sort of sci-fi anthology show where you have these different kinds of adventures week to week. And you also want it to have this sort of mythology arc that carries you through it. And trying to combine those two things is complicated. It's not an easy thing to, to do right off the bat. And I agree that in this particular case, though, they really do have it down pat. Because they either they lucked into it or they, they figured it out right off the bat. They do know exactly, sort of, they, they get the tone of what they want. Mm -hmm. They lucked out with the leads, that they have really good, solid leads. And again, they, they hired really good um, character actors for some of those guest spots. But the basic ethos of the series is very solid. And they're not beholden to anything else. That's another thing, too. Because I think yeah. one of the reasons why, like, Star Trek The Next Generation stumbled a lot in its first season, and through part of the second, even, is because at that point, they were just sort of... It was just a Star Trek reboot, really. Mm -hmm. I mean, they, they were just taking... They were just rebooting the original series, right down to essentially doing stories that could have been from the original series. And even oh, yeah. some that they were, I mean, they, they took a lot of scripts that were from an aborted uh, television project, phase two from yeah. the seventies. And they essentially just took the same script and kind of changed character names, but it's, it's the same thing. And so because they did it that way, that had a huge learning curve until they said, you know what, fuck it. Let's just make this be its own thing. Yeah. You know, it didn't and, quite have its own identity yet. Right. Right. And so the advantage, though, that X-Files has is that right off the bat, they can say, this is X-Files. This is, this is what this is. Yes, we're inspired by Kolchak, the Night Stalker, and, and you know, horror movies and sci-fi movies that we enjoy. But this, this is what this is. You know, it's a combination of pulpy sci-fi with 70s paranoia thriller. And that's what this is. And let's go. Off, and, and that's exactly what it is. And it is that through and through throughout the first season, very much so. And it works. I just want to say that I was wrong. That's all right. Don't worry about it. No. Um, if you'd have listened to me, we wouldn't be here right now. I should know by now to trust your instincts. Why? Nobody else does. You know, I've always held science as sacred. I've, I've always put my trust in the accepted facts. And what I saw last night, for the first time in my life, I don't know what to believe. Whatever it is you do believe, Scully, when you walk into that room, nothing sacred will hold. And there you have it. I hope you enjoyed our discussion and I want to thank you for joining us, especially if you've been enjoying this podcast for the entirety of the first season. If you are enjoying it, there are many ways you can support it. You can subscribe, you can rate and or review it depending on what platform you're enjoying it on, and of course you can share and spread the word on social media. The podcast is available on Anchor FM, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and other platforms. Look for the Eric Santuan Network on Facebook or on YouTube. You can
can also follow me on Twitter at ericsantoinette and check out my film reviews on Letterboxd. You should also check out Daniel Baldwin's website, theschlocketeer.com, and follow him on Twitter at Daniel W. Baldwin. The podcast will not go on a traditional season break. I'm only going to skip a day, and I'll be posting a new episode in exactly one week, or depending on when you're listening to this, right on New Year's Eve. Yes, at midnight on January 1st, by God. At which point, Daniel and I are going to start discussing Season 2 of The X-Files with the episode Little Green Men. I hope you'll join us. And until then, please remember to trust no one. See you next week. Oh.